Let's pretend for a minute that you have a dream of starting an ethical fashion brand. So you want to start this ethical fashion brand. You know the designs in your head. You, you, you have a clear vision for it. But you have no idea where to start when it comes to the manufacturing component. You look online, you do some Google searches, and you find factories literally all over the world, and you have no idea if they're ethical or not. You have no idea what these factories might look like. You have no idea what the process is like. What if there was a way to make it easier for people who want to manufacture their clothes ethically? What if there was a way that you could know for sure that these factories are vetted, they're legit, they're clean, they're ethical, workers are working in clean and safe conditions? What if there was a way you could have all of that taken care of for you? Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of Still Being Molly, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week I interview an entrepreneur, CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an all-around amazing person who is trying to make a positive impact not only through their personal life, but also with their professional career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact right where you are. Before I get to this week's guest, I wanted to tell you really quick, I don't know if you have seen it or not, but I rebranded. So be sure to check out my new site, stillbeingmolly.com. It's obviously the same URL, but it's an entirely new look, a whole new user experience. So you can go over to stillbeingmolly.com and see the beautiful new site. I even have a new site for the podcast within that site. So you can go to stillbeingmolly.com slash podcast and get all of the information there or just you can find it in the header. There's just beautiful new designs and graphics and pictures and I just love it so much. So I hope you go and check it out. Also, you can visit me over on Instagram now as well for the podcast at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram. So I, I share this week's episodes, other just little tidbits, some behind the scenes. So you should definitely go and check that out and be sure to share it with a friend and let me know what you think. I hope you love it as much as I do. Now for my guest this week, my guest this week is Jessica Kelly, the founder of Threefold. It is a platform to help you build your ethical and sustainable fashion brand. Now, Jessica cut her teeth in fashion by paying her dues in PR, schlepping 50-pound gowns across Manhattan to Condé Nast, and working backstage at New York Fashion Week for top brands like Alexander Wang, Oscar de la Renta, Tory Burch, and Tommy Hilfiger, you know, just to name a few. As her career grew, she worked with over 300 brands on a daily basis, preparing them for the wholesale market, and she began to understand how the overarching industry worked and how the many pain points all fashion brands face. It was around this time that she went on a life-changing trip to Africa where she encountered severe social injustice, but simultaneously the power of sustainable employment and knew she had to start a business that provided that opportunity to people in need around the world. After a lot of brainstorming and an extensive research and development trip to India, it became clear that what she needed was a way for fashion brands to find the trustworthy ethical factories in order to increase supply chain standards, improve transparency, and positively impact people and planet around the world. I learned so much in my conversation with Jessica, and I know you're going to love this one. So without further ado, on to my chat with Jessica. 
Hey, Jessica. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes. I am so excited to finally connect with you. You are just doing such amazing and unique things in the ethical fashion world. And I am just really excited to hear all about it. So we're just going to dive right in because I want to hear your story. So Jessica, give us the Jessica 101. So tell us all about you and how you got to where you are today. Oh, goodness. A lot of hustle, I think, would be the basic, yeah. the short, the shortest answer. Um, I am originally from the Carolinas. I now live in New York and work in fashion. I have um, a fashion startup that's working on solving the issues with ethical and sustainability in the industry. Where, uh, um, where, just real honest, quick, where in the Carolinas are you from? Oh, I'm from Charlotte. Oh, okay. I am in Durham. So, oh, my Oh, wow. Really small world. Yeah. yeah. So love like, love North Carolina. Charlotte, dreaming of fashion, wanted to live yeah. in New York my entire life. Yeah. Was just ready to get here. Um, and didn't know anybody when I moved here. So it was it really was just like a lot of hustle. It was always like networking and looking for opportunities and being willing to be work the hardest and smile the biggest. And um, so, yeah, I started in um, fashion PR. Um, I took an internship so that I could get my foot in the door, even though I had already graduated. Um, and that got me my first contact that got me a, you know, a recommendation to a paid job, which was exciting to get money for what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and I was just working 80 hours a week and hustling and working backstage uh, for New York Fashion Week, some top brands like Tory Burch and Oscar De La Renta and uh, Tommy Hilfiger. And it was just um, a dream, a dream um, and a great intro into the industry for sure. Um, and from there, worked for a massive fashion trade show. So I was working with over 300 brands on a daily basis, getting them ready for market twice a year. Um, and that was turned out to be actually a very, very incredible opportunity that had opened for me um, because uh, I don't think that ever would have been really my direction is like, this is what I need to do to get to where I want to go. Yeah. Um, however, because I was working with so many brands of small and large scale I was able to have this really unique bird's eye view of the industry. And like, I already had an understanding of like how it ticked because of working in PR, you really run a lot of that brand to press, you know, the press side where you're running that brand to consumer and how the business and the industry actually works. Um, and then from the position I had after that, it was a lot of understanding like um, all of the trends that were going on in the industry because I had this macro point of view as well as all of the conversations I was having, I really had a very intimate understanding of the pain points that all brands had. Yeah. Big or small, everything's too expensive. There's a lot to do. It's very, very hard to be profitable and grow a brand. It's quite a lot of work. And um, over the years, um, I sometimes I'm still surprised. However, I've gotten to the point where I'm less surprised. Uh, when I learned that like a brand closes um, that you would think is just doing fine. Yeah. Um, because it really is, it's, it's a struggle. It's a, it's a massive struggle and there's a ton of competition out there. Um, but I love fashion. I would have particular grace and gifting for it. And I think that was just always instilled in my heart. And um, I happened at the same time I was working at this job, uh, started wanting something a little bit more meaningful. And at the same time I had gone on this, mission trip to Zimbabwe and just um, was not prepared for how much that was going to change my life. I was face to face with really, really in unbelievable social injustice um, on a scale that I had not seen it. And at the time, uh, a dictator Mugabe was still in power and just the people had nothing, but they were so joyful and so generous. And 
there was so little that I could really affect and do within like the, you know, 10 days that we were there. But I saw how much, how important it was and how impactful it was for people to have a sustainable job um, because they didn't want a handout. They wanted to provide their children the life that they dreamed of on their own. Yeah. And, um, and a handout is so fleeting. It lasts, you know, you, you're hungry in three hours again, you know, like it's so uh, temporal. Um, and because I am such a big picture thinker, I, I wanted to change what the issue was from a systemic point of view. And so um, I came back from that trip just absolutely on fire for something. I was like, I know I have to do something that's going to create um, sustainable employment around the world. I know it's going to be through fashion. That is all I knew. And that was it. So um, I had to figure out what that was and throw a lot of stuff against the wall to see what stuck and try and fail and try and fail. And um, basically that's resulted in now uh, what threefold is. Um, and that came off of a trip that I'll talk about in a second to yeah. India, but basically um, threefold, we help startup fashion brands that are navigating the corrupt and confusing supply chain to get connected to a sustainable community, find ethical factories and grow their business. Mm. And um, that's just been, it's more fulfilling than I can possibly put into words. Um, I am working and thinking about it at all hours of the day, night, weekends, weekdays, and I love every second. That's amazing. So what was this trip to India that really inspired you to start Threefold? Well, I had actually already started Threefold at that point. Um, I started it as a marketing agency because my degree was in marketing. I was skilled at creative and understanding the business of the industry. And I wanted to just get moving, honestly. Yeah. Like one of my favorite expressions is you can't steer a parked car. Mm -hmm. I believe in that incredibly strongly. And so I um, just got started, started talking to people, uh, people I'd worked with in the industry, went to trade shows, talked to brands, um, got a couple clients. Um, but overall, like I had like a 10% give back model. And uh, again, with someone that has a heart for systemic change, that was just nowhere near going to hit the goal of what I really wanted to do to start a business. Yeah. And so I did a GoFundMe for my 30th birthday and I went to India for a month for a research and development trip. And I um, encountered just these incredible factories, that just doors that opened. I knew no one in India. I just started reaching out after I booked the ticket. And um, a really, really incredible factories that I encountered, like on a small scale, um, factories that were employing women rescued out of sex trafficking mm. and giving them a really a new lot on life and financial planning classes and housing, um, life skill classes, um, and large scale factories. Somehow um, a door opened for me to meet with the largest uh, manufacturing exporter in India. And um, I was there for three hours with my jaw on the ground. They make for H&M and Target and Kohl's, and yet they have leading standards and ethical certification in the industry. They wow. have a machine that dyes denim with one glass of water. They have a slum training program in the facility, like all around the facilities around India that they have. They um, will employ, train and employ people that show talent. Um, they were just going so far above and beyond. But like no matter who I met with, their websites were atrocious, like oh, 1992 yeah. level websites. There's no way you would find them online. Um, and it just became very clear to me very quickly that there actually were really incredible factories that brands could source from, but finding them, if you can't find them, do they really exist? Like, how do you find them? Right. Um, the factory world is very, very much the wild, wild west still. It's unorganized. It's um, debatably trustworthy. It's um, very, very hard to navigate. Um, and there didn't seem to be 
a place that brands could go that I could, you know, glean from my friends who were actually in production and design for large brands, as well as their own startup brands, there was just no place they could go and actually just find factories Mm -hmm. and not have to be a sustainability sourcing expert to do so. Right. Um, It was a lot of by word of mouth, a lot of hearsay, like, oh, well, there might be this factory here. Like it was, there was just nowhere organized to do that. Right. Right. That's interesting that you say that, talking about having that experience with that factory that manufactures for H&M and Target and things like that, because I think that that is, you know, that kind of breaks almost that miscon or or breaks down that, I think, uh, understanding or picture in our head of what a lot of these sort of major brands are doing when it comes to their manufacturing. I mean, an H&M just sort of even personally, if I'm just being honest, like in my mind has always just been a sweatshop manufacturer because I walk past their store in the mall and I see a sign that says, you know, jeans for $9.99. And I just think, how in the heck is it even possible for you to produce jeans for $9.99 or and sell them for $9.99 and have been ethical the entire way through the supply chain? So I would just kind of like I'd be interested to kind of hear your perspective on that uh, because I know that it's not obviously across the board. Not you know they're they're using multiple factories, but I guess it's mm-hmm. just kind of interesting to me as that is not something that I've necessarily heard about a brand like H and M. Now I have heard on the flip side that Target is doing a lot. Um, they have like a whole. I think it, I've talked about this before on the podcast. Like it's like a 2020 or 2022 vision where by that point, like all of their factories will be sustainable and ethical and things like that. So that's something that they are actually actively working towards, but they know it's something that's going to take time. So anyway, I just kind of love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I definitely went to that's that was the point of that R&D trip was um, I went with the exact same assumptions and stigma that you have that everyone else has, which is, um, you know, made in Asia is bad. Um, you know, large brands or sweatshops, like things, things that you just, I think the frustrating thing that I get with being in this space as somebody with quite a bit of years of experience in the industry and understanding of the industry as well is the need for people to villainize one thing mm-hmm. and create these really black and white issues when what we actually have is an incredibly gray, large, um, problem to solve. Um, and so uh, H&M, that was one factory I've been to. I cannot speak for all of their factories. However, they do list their entire factory list on their website. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it, it definitely opened my eyes to possibilities. Um, you have to consider several things when you're looking at like, how is it possible to make cheap clothes um, ethically when you're able to place an order that is so big, you're getting economies of scale. So you're able to get textile for a lot cheaper because you're placing it larger. The labor is cheaper because you put a lot more work and labor in the beginning process. So the sampling, the pattern grading, the pattern making, um, training the staff how to sew that product. So once that's actually done and they know what they're doing, they can just keep making the same product. They've already been trained on it. So when you are able to scale up the size of your orders, the price goes down because that's the easy part is just doing more of it. Um, and, and again, like textiles, being able to bulk order textiles is also a thing. In my opinion, from my experience, um, I think it is easier to ensure ethical standards than it is uh, sustainability standards. So yeah. I think I see 
the price going up much more significantly when you start dealing with organic cotton, mm -hmm. um, botanical dyes, hand woven fabrics, um, things like that, because the labor takes longer, the resources are more um, specialized. And so I think that that's where you'll see that price increase much quicker. Mm -hmm. um, but you have to consider that they're producing in places like Bangladesh and India, where the cost of living is incredibly low compared to here. Yeah. Um, so even a, a similar wage over here, it's much cheaper over there um, based on their, um, you know, how much it costs in their society. So, yeah. I mean, I went to India for a month on very little money, given the fact that I was there for an entire month because food is super cheap. Um, that being said, it's, it is very different when you're discussing minimum wage versus a living wage. And we have the same issue here in America. It is very commonly known that if you have a full-time job on minimum wage, you can't actually meet all, all of your needs to provide for you and your children. They have the same problem as well. So I don't think a minimum wage is ever a desirable state to stay in. And I think, you know, that's where it becomes more nuanced and that's where garment um, garment factory workers that have unions that are able to kind of fight for their wages, fight for their rights, fight for, you know, how they're treated is really important, especially in developing nations where unions are really protecting what could be an atrocious situation for a worker. Right. Um, they are able to go, hey, this isn't working anymore and fight for a better standard of living. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is it's incredibly nuanced. Um, I will say from my experience, I think Target and H&M are doing some of the most work in taking up their own and trying to really get better at what they offer at educating the consumer, which as someone from the Carolinas, like, that's huge because like here in New York, I work in the industry. People understand what's going on. They read the women's word daily. They know that things are an issue, even if maybe they don't put the same amount of attention that I do into it. Um, but when I go home, my, my parents don't understand all of this and oh, don't think yeah, about it. Sure. You know, they go to TJ Maxx and they don't ask how things were made. So to actually educate the consumer from a mass level, the way that H&M is able to do, I think is a huge component in driving that forward and they're not perfect and they say that um and i get frustrated when people want an immediate solution when uh that's not possible oh, so i think yeah. that's kind of my take on that yeah and i think that the more that consumers begin to demand those sorts of things and they begin begin to speak mm -hmm. up and ask brands how things are made and the more that the conversations are taking place and the more that brands say, hey, this is something we realize that is happening. This is something that we want to improve upon. Here is our plan. And then consumers holding them accountable to those things. Um, but like I said, I've been actually, like I said, I I've been really, really impressed with how Target has addressed those things. And, um, you know, just because I've, I've just personally seen Target be really forthcoming with it and saying, hey, mm -hmm. this is something that we realized was going on. This is something that we are not necessarily proud of in our past, but we are doing mm -hmm. our best to uh, to really work with ethical manufacturers and be more sustainable. I mean, and, and I go through Target now and I see even small American-made brands now they're carrying. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, you go in their beauty department and they're carrying these like little Michigan, you know, skincare brands <laughs> now. And I'm just like, yes, yeah. like that is that's amazing. I mean, even the other day I needed a new dish scrubber and they sell like a, a made entirely out of recycled material made in the USA 
dish scrubber line. So, I mean, you're even when you start to get down to the nitty gritty, when these are purchases that people didn't necessarily think about before, all of a sudden, when you have a larger company like a Target standing up and saying, no, we want to support smaller manufacturers. We want to make it easier for people to to make a choice to purchase something mm-hmm. that has been sustainably made or ethically made. Um, other brands, other larger companies will stand up. I mean, now, obviously, if I can and if I have a choice and wherever possible, I want to shop small and I want to support the smaller fair trade or certified B Corp brands. I want to support, um, you know, the the little ethical brands, ethical brands that are um, working with artisans mm-hmm. in um, in here in America or abroad. You know, because in a lot of ways, I always say, you know. Target at the end of the day, while I love Target like every other red-blooded American, um, you know, I Target, they don't necessarily notice my purchase. But if I go and I make a purchase from Elegantees, they notice that. Mm-hmm. They feel that. That has a more direct impact than whether I choose to, to shop or not shop at Target. But mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, sorry. And then to that point, I think it's interesting, too, because I saw an article the other day that was talking about um, how, you know, how Ivanka Trump just shut down her fashion brand. And that is in direct response to consumers no longer purchasing her products. And so, um, you know, this is nothing about like her political stance, but just like when people began to to see um what the way that her products were being manufactured, all those kinds of things, like consumers began to say, hey, we're not going to purchase from them. The Nordstrom stopped carrying her line, all those things. And it adds up. And eventually she had to shut down the fashion line. So, mm-hmm. you know, consumer pow- consumers do have a massive power. And um, I think we just saw that as an as an example in practice through um, what happened with Ivanka's brand. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that I, I appreciate about H&M and Target in the role that they play is that um, there are a lot of incredible smaller brands. And I mean, my gosh, you can go down an Instagram hole just going through oh, you know, yeah. the hashtag ethical fashion. There's so many great brands. I mean, the, the it's so easy to start a brand these days. It's a very noisy market. So there are a lot of actually really great options. Um, However, it's going to take a lot longer for that many brands to make the industry shift. Mm -hmm. And so I really do have a big respect for companies that are willing at a large scale to put their neck on the line and say, hey, we're going to be more transparent about where we're at and where we want to go and um, and really start being a leader from a large, you know, scale with a spotlight. Um, Because there's just only a few brands that are really willing to do that. And um, there are actually a lot of brands here in New York that are really top leading designer brands that have sustainability directors and they are working on it. They're aware of it and they're working on it. Very few people are willing to talk about it. Um, so yeah. I've had a lot of conversations with directors of sustainability at brands here that are, you know, doing interesting things. They're trying to figure things out. So there is some of that going on. But they're just they're not going to talk about it publicly because no one wants to have their you know head on a chopping block the way that H&M does. So um, so it kind of it's nuanced because we've got this insurgence of um, small brands that are making a big difference. It's very obvious. And there's a lot of research around how millennials will shop and be more loyal to a brand that has good standards and aligns with their personal beliefs. 
um, than any other generation of shoppers. Um, you know, we have the internet that, you know, demands immediate uh, information and transparency. So we're in a very interesting time. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of turmoil going on. And I think it's going in a lot of different directions. But I think that um, ultimately, we're really starting to make a lot of strides. And in the last five years, particularly, um, the the standards, the awareness, what's going on in the industry, the amount of brands that are willing to step up and start making strat- strategic changes um, is very positive and very reassuring. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting and kind of timely that we're having this discussion because Athleta actually announced, like, I think today, well, I mean, by the time people hear this, it'll be a couple months ago, but um, Athleta announced that they are now a full-blown certified B Corporation. Um, and like, Oh, that's amazing. I haven't seen that update. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. I mean, it like, it like literally came out today, I believe. Um, and so, you know, Athleta also, it, I don't. They're you know they're owned by a larger parent company that has Banana Republic and Old Navy and Gap in there, and so like yeah, they're owned by Gap. Gap does a lot too, actually. Yeah. So I wonder at what point are all of those other brands with you know that are because it's just Athleta right now. So at what point are Gap and Old Navy and Banana Republic going to really follow suit and also be held to those standards as well? But yeah, I was looking at the website. They have like a whole. Um, you know, core values and they have now that they're an entire B Corp and then they have like a 2020 plan of um, here's, you know, what we're doing right now. Um, Here's how we are manufacturing. Here is our sustainability initiatives. Here's our women's empowerment, all these kinds of things. Like they have this whole full-blown plan. So I just think, I I think that's, that's amazing because I was saying um, in one of the, um, in my, the, my Purchase with Purpose Facebook group that I run, which is just a great place for people to kind of have conversations about these sorts of things, um, you know, people were like, look, it's a whole store, like in a mall that you can go to and shop and know that, you know what I mean? Like, because that Yay. can be such a, frust- a, a, a frustration and a pain point for consumers is like, oh, you know, sometimes you just wish you could go to a store and try it on. And so often in the ethical fashion world, that is very challenging if you don't live in a city like New York or San Francisco where a lot of the ethical fashion companies have a brick and mortar you know if you live in Raleigh you might have like you have like the flourish market and that's it like (laughs) you have very Mm -hmm. few options so anyway I just think that's kind of interesting and timely considering we were having this conversation it absolutely is although I will say as somebody that's a New Yorker I still do a lot of online shopping (laughs) like it's just easier um, you can find everything and you don't have to trek all over town on the yeah. train for it. The trains don't really work anymore. So <laughs> uh, it's it's actually it's on some days, especially the weekends, even the same boat. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, now, I wanted to ask because, you know, I just think what you're doing is so interesting um, and so unique in really working to connect brands with factories and making that whole process easier. Because so often when I speak with entrepreneurs, especially in the fashion world, they always talk about how one of the most difficult pieces of, you know, maybe they have an idea and they have a designer and they have all these kinds of things. But then, you know, one of the most difficult pieces is sort of that back end, the manufacturing side and the nuts and bolts of it, which can be really overwhelming. Um, How did you even begin to navigate this? And then how did you really implement it into your business model? 
Um, as far as finding the factories or thinking of the idea, um, what, what kind of what... I think whatever makes sense for you as far as like the progress of that, whether it was you know what came first, sort of chicken or the egg. And I know you said at first that Threefold was just more of a like a like a marketing agency. I think it was honestly it was the trip to India. It was just seeing how clear it the, the problem was that there were actually really great factories they just are unfindable yeah so i guess like um, yeah the, so then how did the you of that bothered me yeah so then how did you go about finding those like because obviously there are so many so where do you even start yeah, yeah so there are actually about six or seven industry certifications on ethical standards um so we actually just work with those factories okay. um at the moment, Threefold doesn't have any plans to be a certifying body ourselves, mainly because I'm not super keen to go after things that are already being tackled by a bunch of other people. Um, and there are, like I said, six to seven certifications that I think meet the standards that we um, align with as well as like, because there's other certifications that are more, I wouldn't call them certifications, they're guidelines, they're self-assessment tools. Um, I won't put our company's name on that because nobody that's an unbiased outside worker is coming in to check on them. Um, however, there are a lot of uh, certifications where there's an auditor that doesn't work for the company that's coming in twice a year and they're looking at their books and they're you know talking to the staff and they're checking the standards for the building and everything that's available to them and the rights that they have. Um, so, you know, somebody is checking on them and they have people full time in each of these countries. Um, so it wasn't really something I felt like we needed to start from ground zero on, we could rather just start from the 20th floor. So um, yeah, so we work with any factories that are have an up to date ethical certification in one of those certifications. And so that means they all kind of have varying minimums, but they basically cover um, no slave labor, no child labor, no discrimination, clear communication from management, um, the right to unionize, uh, health, building safety, working conditions, um, an environmental improvement plan, that one will vary a lot because some will want higher standards, some just want to show in a consistent improvement and strategy of growth. And again, that goes into, like I said earlier, sustainability will play a lot of difference in the price. And yeah, so it, there's there's a lot of, um, they all have basically the same standards, but they'll vary on the, you know, if they defer to like fair wages is another one. So they'll defer to the minimum wage of the area or they'll require a living wage. So fair trade costs more because they require a living wage, um, things like that. Uh, but so we will work with any factory that's up to date. Um, and we uh, have been building the platform. Um, we just started um, development on the actual platform that is going to be for brands first quarter of 2019 uh, since November. Um, and what that the vision for that is, is um, we equip brands in two ways. Um, this is the one that we'll be launching in 2019. And it's going to be a online platform that allows brands to actually sign on to search ethical factories around the world based on what they're making, and to send their tech packs, compare pricing and then manage their production all in one place. So it's going to be a half two sided marketplace where you can kind of navigate that world and then half project management tools. So once you're going through production, you can at least see the stage you're at and get reminders when you're passing deadlines. Um, and then the other ways that we equip brands, um, and usually the fastest and easiest way we equip brands is our dead stock district community. Um, and that allows brands to 
join get connected to a private community of fashion professionals and business owners that are interested in increasing standards and ethical and sustainability in the industry um and so it's a private slack channel and it's a private facebook group where they can chat find resources learn as well as list their fabric fabric liability sell their dead stock fabric um and actually like reduce some of that pre-consumer textile waste we have so much fabric just lying around in mm -hmm. fashion um yeah. so if we can use that and not make new fabric that's also going to be better for the planet so yeah um but just the community aspect alone is super huge when you're starting a brand um, because you're like, I don't know how to do taxes. What is a tax for a company? I don't know. Like you're a lot of these things that you just like don't have all the answers to being connected with a community that's like, oh, I know what threads more sustainable. You can use this company or, oh yeah, we figured that out. You can, you know, send your stuff here. You know, so um, we can all help each other, you know, be better at the, the lane we're running in. That's amazing. And I think that that's such, that's such a powerful um, it's such a powerful tool for brands that I know is so necessary. Um, I have so many friends who are owners of ethical fashion brands, and I hear their struggles, and I hear their pain points. And so often, they just want to commiserate sometimes with each other to just be like, do you have this issue too? Yeah. Has this happened to you? <laughs> and that can yeah, almost be- so needed, especially, especially if you like aren't in New York, you know, and yeah. you're not like around bumping into people constantly. Like I have a, I take full advantage of the fact that like, living here i i'm going to an event tonight i have an event on friday like my calendar is sometimes too full of events i'm like this is i need to sleep um but when you're you know wherever you're at and you want to start a brand and you have something you want to do and affects the local community and affects artisans you know and you have a heart for that um you should be able to be connected to a community that can help you do that too yes i completely agree community is so important in no matter what industry you're in um but a lot of i mean mm -hmm. especially especially in the ethical fashion world i just i mean i remember um you know my friend my friend bethany and she'll be okay if i share this story because she shared this story uh publicly but um you know, last spring, you know, for years, you know, shoppers of the Rue Collective had been begging for a pair of like red flats. And so she had mm. finally, she's like, we're coming out with these red flats. It's going to be amazing. She picked the fabric. The weavers were working on the fabric. They dyed the fabric. She had the samples. Everything looked great. She was promoting them. She literally gets the shipment, the entire shipment of shoes in, the entire shipment. And they come and they're not red. It's like, like a <gasps> it was like a pink, like a dark Ugh. pink. And she's like, yeah. they're not red. They're, these are pink. Like this is not even close to the color that I sampled and approved and like we made and all <laughs> this stuff. Mm -hmm. So she's like, so we have a shoe that's going live in two days and we have all these shoes that are the wrong color. And so, oh, you know, she, so she was like, what do I do? And I was just like, I think you share the story and then have, yeah. you know, it's still a great color. Sure. It's not red, yeah. but like, it's still, a, it's mm -hmm. a fine color and then share the story. And so she ended up calling the color pink lemonade. So it was like, you know, like when life, life hands you lemons, uh, make pink yes. lemonade. And so, um, that's amazing. but yeah, and so it's just, it, but, you know, then there were so many other ethical brand owners who kind of came in and were like, oh, girl, like that happened to us this one time where we got an entire shipment in and everything was wrong or, mm -hmm. you know, everything was the wrong color or 
we had the wrong fabric on the wrong style or, you know, and so sometimes that stuff just happens. But when you have a community of other business owners who have been through it, they can commiserate with you and say, it's going to be okay. We're going to get through this together. And to be honest, like the biggest thing that I've had as I've like been growing threefold is a like been in a female founders group that you can just like not have the answers mm-hmm. and just cry sometimes and also like be encouraged and have like a team of people cheering you on in your corner. And um, that's huge. Like if you're going out and starting something, the highs are so high and the lows are so low. You cannot do it alone. You absolutely need a tribe that's going to yep. root you on and help you do it. Yes. Amen to that. Uh, Well, here as we are wrapping up our time together, what does the future hold for Threefold? Oh, that rhymed. (laughs) I love it. Um, So much. Um, Like I said, we're very soon going to be launching the production platform. It's something that I have had in my head for like two years. Um, So I am so, I just like a kid on Christmas morning can't handle the anticipation. Um, (laughs) So working on that and... um, and building the the community of, you know, fashion professionals and business owners that want to get connected and be more ethical and sustainable. So just a lot of hustle, a lot of momentum happening right now. Um, yeah, I'm just really, really excited for, you know, what we can accomplish for the industry together as a unit. For sure. And is your vision to work with both small and large brands? Absolutely. Um, my vision 100% for threefold is to see a day when the industry is 100% ethically made. That's awesome. Um, so we'll start small because that's definitely the most immediate pain point is, holy crap, how do I find a factory? What does that mean? What does that look like? What right. are the standards are supposed to have? Um, we can equip them very quickly right now. Um, bigger brands are going to take more time mainly because they already have a process in place. They already right. have factories. Um, there's a team of hierarchy that needs to be like go through before you can really make decisions and changes um so it's going to take a different strategy to tackle the corporate ladder Mm -hmm. um but the good thing and news is that um we're positioned at a perfect time and place that the industry is listening and ready to move but they're not sure how so they're watching and they're waiting Um, We just need to be ready to really equip them when they are. That is amazing. I love it. Well, Jessica, before we go, this is the portion of the show where we transition a little bit to just ask some fun questions and get to know you. And this is also the portion of the show where my husband inserts a fun sound effect or movie clip of his choice to transition us (laughs) to the get to know you round. So um, I never know what it's going to be, as my listeners know. um, So I take uh, no responsibility for the clip that is chosen. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Uh, yeah, it's, it's fun. I believe <laughs> if life gives you lemons, you should make lemonade and try to find someone whose life has given them vodka <laughs> and have a party. Question number one is, what is your guilty pleasure? Um... Probably binge watching really good dramatic shows on either Netflix or Amazon Prime. Ooh, do you have like a one in particular that you are just loving lately? Oh my gosh, I just finished it. And so now, fortunately, I have my life back until they come out with another season. But Poldark on Amazon Prime. I have heard that that is good, but I have not seen it. So if for, for people that have not seen it oh. or know nothing about it, can you give us like the 12 second synopsis? <laughs> it is Amazing. It is set after the American Revolutionary War, and Ross Poldark is a British soldier who comes back defeated 
to who he thinks is the love of his life, who is now engaged to his cousin. And his father has died and squandered his inheritance. So he is in Cornwall, England, and has to start from scratch rebuilding like a life. And what's funny is he is like such a before his time social entrepreneur, because everything he does throughout all of the seasons is like, we've got to be bringing jobs to the people of Cornwall. It's not okay that we're just, you know, let, you know, throwing our money around everywhere as aristocrats and not <laughs> letting them eat. And like, you're, I just, so, which only makes you love him more. And he's yeah. an incredibly attractive person. Uh, I love it. That's, a, um, that's an awesome premise. He also has a fiery redhead um, woman that's by his side throughout the whole show. And I have fiery red hair. So I'm like, yeah, it's great. It's great. I love it. That's amazing. (laughs) Um, If you could win an Olympic medal for any sport, real or fake, what would it be? Oh, my gosh. I've never been asked that question. (laughs) Um, I mean, uh, you know what? Probably gymnastics. When oh, I was a kid, I yes. did gymnastics. I, my mom and I watched it every every Olympic. We would watch oh, it. Yeah. We the whole team in the 90s. Um, oh, like, yes. I just, that would probably be what I would do. And it would probably be like floor and the uneven bars. I love it. No, I am, I am here for that for sure. Because, I mean, <laughs> who doesn't watch gymnastics and be like, yeah, I want to do that. Like, I totally want to do that. I want to be able to move Absolutely. my body in those ways. Um, <laughs> Um, where is your happy place? Uh, traveling, um, anywhere new around the world. Yeah. Um, I'm my, my like heart always is drifting to a new place and my bucket list is a million miles long. Yes. Um, I absolutely love traveling. It's where I hear from God the most. It's where I feel the most, uh, present yeah. and not with, you know, like a running to-do list and yes. can just like sit in the moment and really love life. Amen to that. Um, is there a particular like really unique place on your bucket list that you are just dying to check off? Okay, that's a really hard question. I know. It's hard because it would be hard for I, me to pick too. Yeah. Um, at the moment, I really, really want to go to Vietnam. Um, mm. And I also really want to go to Israel. So yes. I will settle with giving you two places. Rather no, than yeah. It, no, the, a Holy Land trip and being baptized in the Jordan River is for sure, like, oh, for sure, like, probably top of my bucket list because I actually have a friend who who just went and was sharing pictures and I just was like please take me there I just want to go um (laughs) okay so my last question is today what are you most grateful for um I mean, to be honest, I think I'm most grateful for my business. I, I've been given such a good life. I've fought for it. I've figured out what I wanted and I've definitely hustled for what I want. Um, but the it, it's literally at the intersection of fashion and impact and travel. And I couldn't have prayed for that if I wanted to when I was in high school. I knew I wanted to work in fashion and I was you know, going to be a go-getter and go after that. But um, I could never have foreseen how perfectly like intricate the how my business ended up being woven into all of my heart's desires and Mm. that's just been a really amazing journey to walk down that is beautiful I love it well Jessica this has been such a pleasure to have you on the show and to just hear what you are doing with threefold it's incredible so thank you so much for your time um, and your talents and all that you're doing and um, I can't wait to continue to watch you just thrive and soar well thank you so much it's been so good to be on 
Okay, seriously, I learned so much in that conversation with Jessica. I really love how knowledgeable in this area she is and how it, it, it has encouraged me to dig even deeper in my own ethical fashion journey. I would love to know what you loved about this episode or if there was something that you learned. So let me know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. Don't forget to use that hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast. But seriously, stop by, let me know what you thought or what you learned. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're a first-time listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring amazing entrepreneurs and business owners who are literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you are a regular listener of the show, thank you for tuning in week in and week out. And thank you so much for your support. Be sure to head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you're subscribed to the show. Clicking the subscribe button helps to ensure that you never miss a new episode of the show. And while you're there, would you mind leaving a review for me? Leaving a review really helps me to know what you're liking and how the show personally impacts you. This show is edited by my amazing husband and executive producer, John Stillman, and the music is by Mark Killian of Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose. Mm -hmm.